Hi, I'm Patrick Kalik, and this is The Love Show. We are located still somewhere in Bel Air, California. I've been through a lot since I got sober, and a lot of a lot is kind of gluttonizing with food and dinners for dinners and lunches for lunches. And um, I came to a place where I felt super lethargic, not necessarily that fat, but just kind of energy drained. And I had noticed a couple people around me getting in really good shape. And when I asked them, it turned out that they had all gone to a very old friend of mine that I didn't know was helping people with these kind of things. And his name is Troy Casey. And I remember I just direct messaged him on Instagram and I said, Troy, where are you? I'm fat and I'm exhausted. And uh, I met him in an aisle at Erwan in Santa Monica. And my life has been amazingly different ever since that day. So I'm excited to have him today as a guest to talk about all these things that he met up with me and talked to me about getting in shape, diet, mental space, which we cover in the interview. We cover a lot of stuff, so I'll make sure to put a link in the post. So if you want to work with him or find Troy or get more information, that'll be there in the link. But anyway, um, without me going on and on, let's just get into this and talk to Troy about how you could kind of change your whole molecular structure, your whole body, by just doing some different behaviors and eating different foods. And his information is pretty amazing. I hope you enjoy it. You're going to San Francisco Still moving, yeah? You're yeah. Still, you're still staying on the program? Well, I just came through uh, the 10 days, and I had a hard time with it. I did uh, I did on day eight, I had Mr. Chow's, and it was awful. It like, tasted great, but it was just like, what? Uh, what? Like, I've known people that I think, in a sense, they've gone to another level, which isn't like doesn't look like fun. It's that saying, the doctor, if I don't have sex and I don't do this and I don't do that and don't do this, how long will I live? And the guy replies, you know, a long time, but why would you want to, you know? Right. That's how I feel about them. It's not, it's not as implemented as your vibe. It's like, it's like, I don't do this and I look, you know, I look at the food and it's, it's just like a longing. It's not really an addressing of, you know. Yeah, it's thing. too limiting. Yeah, there's a place where it was like, I'm going to eat Mr. Chow's, but uh, the old days is I would do Mr. Chow's followed by 24 months of gluttonous eating. Uh, now it's like, you're going to have the shake tomorrow, even if you don't. <laughs> right. Yeah, jump on and off the train as it pleases you. Yeah, that's like the new thing. But yeah, I had two bumps in 10 days. I did two dinners that were pretty real. And then, you know, just kind of now I'm going back into uh, two shakes and a meal, two shakes and a meal and trying to move them around and balance them. Mm-hmm. And but, you're feeling um, good? Energy's even? Yeah. Yeah. I have this thing where I'm like stuck at, uh, I go 178, 174, 8, 174, 178, 174, 178. And it's just like, I know what it is. It's like, I'm eating more. I'm like eating more hummus. I'm doing a little bit. It's not as clean. It's like organic chips, which aren't as good as just fucking celery, you mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. And I'll know when I'm doing it. And you're just mm -hmm. kind of like more red lentil pasta than preparing a salad mm -hmm. <laughs> but right. i'm not eating i'm eating everything organic everything non-gmo everything's overpriced at air one and perfect but sometimes you grab the wrong i grab the wrong stuff yeah <laughs> just enjoy the inflammatory agents but no they might not be your best friend right <laughs> <laughs> where did we meet do you remember what year or whatever not year but when did we meet would have been 1994 we met in 1994, oh and we God. were out at either a nightclub or somewhere in Hollywood, and then we went hunting for a party in the Hollywood Hills, 
and I had too many drinks. So you were driving my 1964 Cadillac and you were doing a <laughs> kick-ass job at it too. What and year was it? This is 1994. So I would have been early sobriety. That's probably why I was driving. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think so. Yeah. So I had, ha- I bought that, I bought that Cadillac in late 93 and had it in LA briefly before I brought it to Miami. So that would have been exactly in 1994. Then we went hunting for a party. Yes. <laughs> not sure if we found it or not. <laughs> were you were you born in LA or no? I was born in Connecticut and raised in San Francisco. My dad was a hippie and he was hitchhiking across the country and my 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 biological father and mother got into a you know, an argument and they left and they packed up their Volkswagen bug and drove out to San Francisco for the summer of love in nineteen sixty seven. Wow. And you were conceived what? Nineteen sixty five. You're 65. Oh, see, I think you're younger than me. That's because you're healthy. (laughs) I'm 68. Wow, you're doing good for 65. What was it like when you were a kid? Like, what's the, what's your kind of, how were you raised? What were they, they were a hippie family? Yeah, so I remember uh, when I woke up in the world, I was in San Francisco. And so uh, I remember walking the streets by myself. I remember um, music events in Golden Gate Park. Um, I remembered, you know, adults singing Puff the Magic Dragon at the bus stop and asking my mom, like, what's going on over there? And and my mom was like, oh, she's just enjoying herself. But now, you know, years later, I realized that they were probably on LSD. That was a big deal then, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Um, so I remember walking the streets by myself and hanging out with my brothers and, and, uh, and I remember walking across, uh, the panhandle, which is, I think the, that street is lions. And I was going to cross cause we lived on page and Ashbury one block down from hate Ashbury. And, uh, and I used to play in the panhandle and I remember just being with a, you know, bunch of little kids like Lord of the Flies. And uh, we all went to go walk across Lyons and the red light was there, but there were some younger kids there and I couldn't have been more than five. And uh, I saw this one kid take off in front of me and I went to go grab his sweatshirt and I missed it. And, you know, that's a 35 mile an hour street. Okay. And so uh, he got nailed by the car. And so, um, so yeah, I was a little nomad kid from day one. Did he make it? I I don't remember. Wow, that's I remember heavy. going back and telling my mom, and was like, a car, and she's like, calm down, yeah. calm down. And uh, yeah, I think he might have gotten injured, but uh, you didn't run into Baltazar in those days, did you? He wasn't there yet, or maybe he was there. He grew up there. I didn't. I didn't run into him then, and but we did run into Jerry Garcia hitchhiking. He wow. picked us up. Yeah. No way. Yeah. Tell me what that was like. Um, well, I don't remember it that well, but I remember hitchhiking with my mom inside the city of San Francisco because we hitchhiked out on the bigger roads and the freeways and stuff. But I remember hitchhiking inside San Francisco and I was with my little brother. He was real small at the time and my mother. And uh, we got picked up by this big hairy guy with a beard and and uh, and that's all I remember. Yeah. You know? I bet your mom knew who it was. And my right? mom knew who it yeah. was and she always told me. Did they that stay story. together, your parents, or did you, they all go separate ways. My uh, stepfather got busted by the FBI in 1981. He uh, got busted for 60 pounds of hash. And I think when they came to the house, he had some Coke and some pot and a bunch of cash. And they were looking for, you know, the guy above him. And my dad wasn't interested in being a rat. And so he split the country. Uh, He had roots in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so he left to Europe. And he Your real dad or your stepdad? My stepfather. Okay. So, um, so they were, they were together about 13 years through Haight-Ashbury. We had moved back to Connecticut at that time and we were living on a lake in Connecticut and he was working for the man. Um, you know, he was a union worker. He worked for the Hartford Current and I think he just was probably, and he was working night shift too. So he was probably just sick of the grind Mm -hmm. and a bunch of his friends were dealing drugs and he got involved and uh, there's a good story that goes uh, one of, he went to a predominantly Jewish high school in Bloomfield, Connecticut. And uh, one of his friends went to Israel for uh, vacation and, and he was at a cafe and there was a guy in the PLO. So that was before ISIS and Al Qaeda and uh, Palestinian Libera- liberation yeah. organization. Yes. And this guy was like, look, pull a boat off the coast of 
New England and we'll fill it with blonde Lebanese hash. And this is the time when all the the drug drops and the drugs were coming in through Miami. He also had a friend that went down to Miami with his parents during the winters. And uh, somehow along the line, he ended up getting one of these pot or Coke drops, like a big box, you know, a couple hundred pounds of marijuana and Coke. And then he started dealing. And so there was all this product on the market and they brought it up to their hometown in Connecticut, connected with my dad. And there was a bunch of new product on the street, especially the blonde Lebanese hash, which was very rare back then. Never heard of it. Yeah. And so, um, and it was good product and a lot of people wanted it. And I think within months, I think he started really dealing in early 1981. And then by September, he had been busted by the FBI. And uh, soon after that, he kind of figured he didn't want to go to prison and set himself up and, and left the country. Wow. Were you kind of a street kid or a school kid? Sounds like street kid. Yeah, a mixture of both. I mean, I'm a white middle American kind of guy. And so even though I didn't have the home life. I was able to stay over my friends' houses and, 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 you know, did the couch surfing tour while I was still in school. And so, um, I was 14 at the time when my dad got busted and I'd been running away from home for about a year before that. There was, mm-hmm. you know, certain, uh, issues. I didn't like getting my ass kicked. <laughs> and right. so, and so, uh, I started running away from home at about 14. And then by the time they got busted, I was, I was 15 at the time. And, uh, and then they sent me out to live with some of their friends in Haight-Ashbury. And so they were living in Marin County at the time. And, uh, so I went to a Marin County high school and I graduated from Novato high. Uh, but that's not before I had a stint in juvenile hall and was incarcerated myself for selling drugs. Wow. So you're apple- following the traditions. Yes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> what brought you? How'd you get to LA? I graduated from school in Marin, and then I, I started going to college, and I liked school. You know, I liked educating myself, and uh, I was on the 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 slow track to nowhere. Basically, I was I was at a community college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I was just taking my prerequisites. And because of of my schooling in the past, I didn't have my calculus and all that stuff out of the way. So I spent at least two years doing all my math requirements. And uh, eventually, I moved down to San Diego because I thought that was cool, and uh, got set up at Mesa College. And it. One of my summers, I went back to Connecticut to, to visit my real father, and many people suggested I, I should model, and I didn't know what that looked like. But he had a friend who was a photographer, <laughs> and uh, took some pictures, and then went in to see Wilhelmina after with my pictures. And I was going back to California, and they're like, well, we're not set up in California, but we have a sister agent. Uh, agency, Nina Blanchard, and go and see them. So I went and saw them and they liked my material right away. And they had opened up a satellite office in San Diego, thinking San Diego was going to be the next Miami. And so, because all the German clients were down in Miami during the winter when it's cold in Germany to shoot their summer catalogs. And so, uh, so I started with Nina Blanchard in San Diego and then I instantly figured out, okay, if I'm going to be successful, what do I have to do? And ultimately that's going to Milan at that time. Uh, this was, you know, 1988. I remember all that pressure because of Tony Ward. It was like, got to get to Europe, get to Europe. It was always get to Europe. Yep. Yeah. And so, and that's where all the men's fashion was being done. So I took an appointment to see an agent and I saw, I think Calvin French from Ugly People and, um, that was an interesting experience. At this point, is there like something that people that inspire you, did you get anything from the modeling world? You obviously got to travel and see world, which is like probably take your head off, right? When yeah. you go to Europe and you're a kid. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot to say about the fashion industry. Um, you know, Or just you, like, you know, what it did to you. It doesn't matter it, but like your head. Yeah. So, um, you know, there I was in school. I had three and a half years in community college and kind of no end in sight. And this opportunity presented itself. An agency had interest in me. And then I started researching, hey, what do I have to do to become successful? And the next thing was Europe. And I met Calvin French and they offered me a contract or whatever they offer you, you know, come to Milan, we'll represent you. And uh, I that, was, that would have been um, probably summer of 88. And I 
I was set up to start my next semester and my heart just wasn't in it. I was just like, it was a no brainer. I was like, I'm quitting school. Yeah. And I moved to Los Angeles and I moved down on San Vicente and, and like Pico and La Brea area. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, that was still the hood back then, you know? And, uh, and I loved it. I loved being in LA. I had a scooter and I'd, I'd cruise up to Air One. And, um, no think, way. You were at Air One? <laughs> yeah, even back then. And uh, I got some like job at Macy's, you know, briefly. Mm-hmm. And so I'd cruise up to the Beverly Center. And uh, I've only had a handful of like regular jobs. In Me my too. Whole, I think two. In my whole entire yeah. life. And uh, it was kind of sales and I was around fashion. So I, I, I checked that out. And then within... Um, Within a few months, I think uh, it would have been spring of 89, I moved to Milan and kind of the rest is history. And wow. I started, uh, you know, I, I worked with Doug Ordway, who was the assistant to Bruce Weber at the time. Uh, you know, I started doing nudes. Right when I got there, they wanted me to do nudes. And I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. like, what is this all about? And so <laughs> then I understood the artistic element of it. You know, modeling is an incredible, modeling goes hand in hand with tra- traveling. So traveling is the best education. So I aced two semesters of Spanish in college, which if you know anything about studying, you know, studying is one thing, but the application is something different. So it so it really helped me with my Italian. Mm-hmm. I got up to 60% uh, proficiency in speaking Italian within a year of moving there. Wow. So the traveling was really the implementation of some of my uh, studies and really real life, working with dur- different currencies, uh, being in a different culture, and being submerged there, not just going and looking at the Eiffel Tower and moving on. Yeah, nothing like that. Living there, mm-hmm. you know, and being in that history, especially uh, Piazza Duomo. I mean, that, that thing was built in the 1400s. And so I'm around, like, I'm not in America. I'm living somewhere else. I'm having to make at work. I'm learning how to be an entrepreneur or mm-hmm. uh, a freelancer. Uh, I'm learning how to make my own money. And it was an incredible experience. And I met so many cool people that I'm still friends with to this day, uh, especially guys, you know, the yeah. guys modeling industry uh, side of things. You know, you get a lot of guys, guys, and that are just bros. And I've been friends with those guys for forever. I mean, Benja, I've been friends for, with for almost uh, 30 years. He's our mutual friend. He's yeah. the one who introduced us. He's doing us. sets now right? Building sets. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, my buddy, Tim Collins, who lives down in Orange County. I mean, these guys have been friends with for almost 30 years. And so, and I really liked, you know, fending for yourself, living in another country. I even sold drugs on the side to, to support my business. Yeah, there's gaps. I mean, there wasn't big money unless you're one of these four or five people, right? There was like this huge, wasn't there a huge gap between the top two and the thousand after, right? Yeah. It was like 200 bucks. Some guys are making 200,000 bucks. It all didn't make sense. Right. I remember when Tony started stacking and you're like, why is Tony stacking? And no one, you know, it was just moments. And then it would go and come, go and come, you know? Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if it's really luck or I, I think what Yasmin Garai said that at the height of her career, you know, there's plenty of people that have good genetics like her. And I think she just, I think she said something about getting the luck of the draw. So, you know, it's not all luck. Obviously, you got to have some form of personality to yeah. a certain degree and some level of symmetry, which equals to beauty. Um, but I, I loved it for that side of the industry. Now, the business side of it, I just couldn't wrap my head around, you know, the making of the money. I'm thinking, hey, put together a resume, get together, you know, my portfolio, that's my resume. You were logical. I was logical. illogical space, right? And it's not a logical business. Yeah. And so I couldn't wrap my head around that. You know, I do my best. I put together a resume portfolio and therefore it should show my work, but there was so much more emotional elements. And I saw a lot of dysfunction, a lot of sexual trauma in that industry. And a lot of it gets played out. And I had my own childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So my wounded child would, would wrestle with their wounded child. Yeah. And, you know, I don't suck dick and I don't kiss ass. So I only got so far. Right. Uh, and I did four Versace campaigns. So That's I, I feel that, you know, I reached the top of that. That is a pinnacle. (laughs) Yeah. Only a few people did that. I remember most of them, you know. Yeah. And I worked with the original supermodels of that time. I worked with Naomi Campbell and Christy Turlington and Claudia Mason. and crazy. uh, And Yasmin as well, who was my all-time favorite and still is. Yasmin like Golari or how do you say it? uh, Yasmin Something like 
G-U-A-R-I. I used to say Gulari. I used to just collect photos and be like, this one, I've never seen her. I just used to be obsessed looking at her. And uh, then she, she just vanished. She was. She's not on Instagram. She's not but on she was right at, She was like right neck and neck. And then if you go back to newcomers, they're like, I don't know who that was. I'm like, oh, I do. She was in the top five of everything. Yeah. Her and Evangelista every day. That's right. All day. She was the brunette. And then she's gone. You know? Well, how she, I met her uh-huh. was they hired Linda Evangelista for this job and they used my 94, uh, my 64 Cadillac I had in Miami. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I showed up, they said that, you know, Linda Evangelista had canceled and they sent Yasmin in their place and I was in heaven. Yeah. How pretty. Just stunning, right? Oh, she's, <laughs> oh, she's unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. I'd never seen her. And she was cool too. I liked her vibe. So when do you start getting into, were you always into health food? It sounds like you've been background health food, even in the middle of all the wild stuff. Or did it just start coming? Well, what happened was um, I used to bloat. My digestion was messed up. You know, I grew up in America, Captain Crunch and Pop-Tarts, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I didn't really know anything about nutrition and health. How about our generation? I just, you just reminded me of shit. Like we had like fucking strawberry quick uh, TV dinners and uh, bologna and just like shit that was like, you'd go to prison if you try to sell it. (laughs) Yeah. Zingers. All sorts of fuckery and fakery. So yeah, so there I was sitting in Milan and you know, you're out there as a model, pizza and beers free. And so you go out and next morning I wake up and you know, they're like, oh honey, you're fat. You know, basically you're not going to work, you know, and I'm over there to work and get work. And so they're not going to send me out. You were heavy? I, I can't imagine bloated. you ever heavy. I mean, bloating is just carrying an yeah, extra molecule. Well, you're not like a fat dude. No. I can't see that on your frame. But if I eat the wrong foods, yeah. I'll blow up. Like You'll a, fill out. You won't have definition. Like a woman on her period or it's just con- just bloating. It's water Inflammatories. retention. <laughs> Inflammatories. Inflammatory agents. Learning. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, years later, it took me about 20 years to figure out the whole gluten piece that I was allergic to gluten. And so uh, early on, I went down to the American bookstore, bought a bunch of books for um, nutrition um, and, and read them. Uh, some of them were... Uh, pretty vegan dogmatic. I think I read Fit for Life and I've subsequently, I've since then talked to Marilyn Diamond who wrote the book. Mm -hmm. She almost ruined her hormones having that diet for a too long period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So vegan didn't work for me. It was excellent cleansing. It got me into real foods. It got me shopping at the farmers. I didn't even know where the farmers market was, but luckily Italy is the food people of the world. They had farmers markets everywhere. Aren't they non-processed? Is that some sort of law? Because I remember losing weight when I'd go to Europe, any Europe, I would lose weight. Even if I was eating cheese and bread, I was losing weight. Yeah. And somebody said, well, it's because they don't process their food. Because I would come back expecting to be 10 pounds up and I would be 10 pounds minus. And they're like, no, they don't have processed foods. And I was like, really? But I was eating shit, you know? (laughs) It was real food. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Probably, you know, cheese from Jersey cows, either raw or with the enzymes in it. Uh, It's just a different quality of food that... Mm -hmm. that has been around for um, hundreds, if not thousands of years, traditionally. So all traditional diets have the nature into it. And America is only 200 years old and we're the industrial kingpins and we just industrialize food. And so there's a cost for that. You Mm -hmm. denature food, there's a cost for that. 70% of the American people are obese or overweight now. So my digestive issues led me to health and nutrition for my own career in front of the camera to look and feel my best. From there, from the nutrition, I got into fasting, herbs, and internal purification. So I got into juicing and juice fasting. And, you know, I was partying a lot at the time and I did my first 10 day juice fast and I looked and felt amazing. I looked like a spring chicken. I was hooked. And so, oh, I can go out and party or, or, you know, live and do a cleanse a couple of times a year and I look better. And so I was hooked. So I've been fasting and doing juice cleanses for 30 years. Wow. You were early. In a way. Yeah. Well, I figured it out kind of by default. And Didn't so, you have some um, somebody, kind of like a hero or a guidance person that was teaching you minerals or something that you worked with? Or is that later in life? Didn't you work with somebody about 
enzymes and, and minerals. Didn't you do that first? Well, I've, I've had a few mentors in the industry. Dr. Richard Schultz, uh, I studied all his materials. Uh, he has an herbal company in West LA, and I studied with Amazon John Easterling, and I worked with him with his herbal company, and now I'm studying with the great Paul Check, who's the big sports fitness uh, and rehab guy who's rehabbed uh, Danny Way from a broken neck in 94, and he's Laird Hamilton's coach. So I've studied with the greats uh, on the planet and partnered with uh, some of the greats as well as far as nutrition and and health knowledge. Uh, so that journey has been 30 years uh, and a lot of it's been through my own healing. Is this what you went into right after the modeling eras? Like, is that where you went or did you have a gap? So I started studying nutrition in 1989 mm -hmm. and then I modeled all the way professionally and traveling through 97. And then I always wanted to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, then why don't you move to LA? And I was, I was still traveling and it was like, I actually should have never left LA. If I was to do it all over again, I would have started acting first mm -hmm. because by the time I got to LA, what happened was, um, then you get the stereotypes, you know, I was, I was in my late thirties at the time and they're like, oh, well you have no work in front of the camera. And so, so that was a strike against me. And so, um, I think life's working out perfect because now I'm on the super small screen and I've got a full <laughs> career with no agent and everything's completely taking and off. How and how many I, people you touch is crazy. You know, it's not even comparable. Yeah. I mean, I've got a... I've got almost 6 million views on my YouTube channel and then crazy. and my, and my Instagram's buzzing right now. So I'm able to get my messages out and support myself, uh, without an agent, but now things are getting so big. I'm actually looking for an agent to represent me in this realm. And there's a few out there and a few of my friends went viral. I got my buddy JP Sears went viral. And then I've got a couple other viral friends that have partnered with other marketing guys and they've built whole businesses around their viral activity. So that's where my head is at. Well, I know what I want to ask about is uh, because there's so many of these rifts between the vegan and healthy, not healthy. I have a lot of friends that are like kind of like pro vegan and I'm like, well, you know, I'm still eating meat. What is, what is that? You know, like, what can we say about that? I want to hear your thoughts on it. Well, you know, the jury's still out and you know, there's a lot of viral activity on the internet saying that it's a eugenics policy coming out from those who are trying to control you know, life on earth. And so, uh, and there's other eugenics policies and you guys can look at the history of eugenics, but in my observation and what happened to me, I got severely anemic. I got skinny fat. I got extremely unhealthy. I had lots of muscle wasting, but just the anemia and I was still bloated and still had, you know, many problems that, that resulted from that. And subsequently my research shows through the history of the spear and also understanding, you know, what paleo man ate and how our digestive tract built over long periods of time. Current genome studies say that it takes a hundred thousand years to change the human genome one tenth of one percent. And we were all hunters and gatherers before the industrial age and be even before that, the agrarian farming started ten thousand years ago in Asia and four thousand years ago in in the Mediterranean. So ultimately we're all meat eaters. And what were we gathering? Roots, barks, berries, herbs, greens, basically anything that was edible or had medicinal qualities, we could either boil down into, make a mash out of it, or create some kind of sustainable dried goods for when food wasn't so available. Maybe there was more ice and snow on the ground. What were we hunting? Grass-fed remnants, and we would eat the organs first. And so We've been doing that for long periods of time. I don't know of any ancient vegan culture on the planet. Now, if you're closer to the equator, you can handle more fruits and vegetables and or sweet fruits. So the vegan utopian ideal is out there. I, and I applied it into my biology and physiology and it failed miserably. I also rescue a lot of malnourished vegans on the internet, even famous vegans. They don't want to put their ego on the, on the plate. They don't want to start telling their audience that they're not going to be vegan because it's a very cultish dogmatic culture. That's what I'm seeing a lot of lately. 
So look, if it works, then the application is going to show up in your laboratory slash human body temple. If it doesn't work, then you're going to look at premature aging. You're going to look at graying of the skin, muscle wasting. And there's a handful of people that I know have have been able to pull it off. My friend Darren Olean, who hangs out with Laird Hamilton, amazing looking guy. He's been vegan for a long time and his muscles are, are very big and he seems like he can handle it. A lot of endurance athletes uh, have gone vegan. And I believe that if you're an endurance athlete, your body's a well-tuned machine and it will basically digest anything for food. It adapts. Yeah, because you're running, you know, tons of miles every day or you're swimming in cold water, et cetera, et cetera. And so your body will make use of that fuel. And I think, you know, they they, they can do it. I don't see it as um, a population that they've pulled it off to be healthy. In fact, I shop at the co-op in Santa Monica. Co-op's been around for a long time. There's a lot of older vegans and vegetarians there. And I see a lot of muscle wasting and premature aging. Like, like not healthy agent aging, you know, where they're vital, they're strong, they're coherent. I see people that are really aged, pruned out, if you will. I've seen so, it too. Yeah. And that's just my observation. You know, people can argue with me all day long. No problem. Well, Harry always Harry always throws like he's like, Troy looks really fucking good and and most people don't, so maybe you should <laughs> adapt or something. You know, he uses you as a as a staple. He's like, Troy's in good shape and you're not, you know, <laughs> like whenever a vegan's throwing game at him. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. And the bottom line is, is people still have to test this out for themselves. Yeah, it is individualism, right? Yes. But I do see that whole, like, it's like pop culture moments of like, you know, it's like my generation was like, we eat yogurt, yogurt's trash. We do this, this is trash. You know, you're drinking bone marrow, bone marrow is bad. You're just like, (laughs) you know, it seems to be that people put a focus. And what you've taught me, at least if I got it right, was balance, balance, common sense, and also kind of keeping a log of what works and what doesn't work. Correct. You know, I never did that before. And there's known inflammatory agents. So now that they've been spraying glyphosate on many of the crops, wheat, oats, and barley all have phytic acids or gluten on them. Then you've got soy and corn and cotton. These are the most sprayed crops um, on the planet. Plus there's GMO seeds and the jury's out on what GMOs are actually doing as a long-term feeding study. We are the human beings that are in the long-term feeding study, the people in the United States of America. Currently we have 70% obesity rates, uh, one in two cancers, 33% diabetes. So that tells me that's all food borne. It you must not be working. <laughs> you are what you eat is an axiom that's not going away anytime ever. So just look at my mentor's told me, just look at your results. Results never lie. And then applying these paleolithic mentalities around gut microbiome in my own health at 53, obviously I've been able to access some level of health that's not the norm. So my theories work for me and they work for my clients. On average, my clients lose 25 pounds with the first month working with me. Yeah. I was, I think I was 210, 215 when I saw you. I'm, I'm hovering 176, 175. And kind of lazily doing it. I didn't do like a whole, you know, I feel like I didn't, I wanted to ease into a new life because I've always done diets that are just by, ever since I got in, in, um, you know, sobriety 25, 26 years ago, I've gone up and down 20 to 40 pounds, you know, and they're both like, you know, sadness or celebration. I'm just like excessive person. You know, this is the first time I've kind of like, don't feel like I'm on a diet. Don't feel like I'm on a plan. I'm just making sense with it all. Walk the middle path. (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to. Yeah. And, you know, I see it with friends. My friends are still struggling with it. And I I sympathize because I was at Mr. Chow's the other night eating to die. You know what I mean? It's just like all in. It's like it never happened. I can go right to a guy that weighs 300 pounds is appetite. You know, you think people are like, oh, my stomach's smaller now. Like, it's not, it's mental with me. It's mm-hmm. like, no, there's no such thing as that. <laughs> and if you're eating nutrient-dense foods that aren't going to inflame your system, you're going to get full eventually. And so you're going to get satiated. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're not inflaming the system and you're eating real food, you can eat as much as you want. I Well, I recommend uh, I would go to about uh, 75% full mm-hmm. because sometimes- Mine's emotional. It's not this physical thing. Mine's like where I put work, where I put stress, where I put, you know, I have a friend, uh, Michael, who you've been talking to lately in New York. And I said, it's not just that. It's, it's relationships, it's business, it's style. I think guys like us have to disassemble all that. 
because it's not, you know, food's there, yeah, but it's coming from a weird place. The way I eat, the way I would eat. Yeah. It filled drugs, it filled womanizing, it filled, you know, I was always putting different focuses on things, you know. Now I'm just trying not to put one on anything, you know. Right. That's what I do. And an overweight body is a stressed body, and there are seven factors of stress, so stress is a huge factor. What are the seven? So you've got physical, psychic, thermal, too hot or too cold, electromagnetic radiation, electromagnetic frequencies, chemical toxicity, and then you've got uh, what I term digital stress. So the interface shifting from one interface to the other, it takes 20 minutes to refocus the human mind. So if you're going from one interface to the next to grab an email, to grab a video, to grab a blog post, to give people information, you have to refocus your mind and it takes 20 minutes. Thinking is catabolic. So you got anabolic phase, which is build up. Catabolic is breakdown. We have two forces on the planet, yin and yang, anabolic, catabolic. Inhalation, exhalation, masculine, feminine. So there's always two forces at play. So you want to look at how much thinking you're doing and how much mental output you need. You have about 20 good decisions a day before mental fatigue sets in. That's This is crazy because then we're all fucked up in a sense. It's like, I mean, I'm probably at you know, a million things a day with my bullshit. So. And- And digital interface from one to the next. You literally feel exhausted on the thing and the electromagnetic radiation is hammering you. So those are two strikes against you, you know, right there, digital stress and and, and EMF. So you have to factor that into your lifestyle, physical stress, uh, psychic stress, you know, walk in an office building on a Monday morning. It's different from Friday afternoon, right? So watching out the people that you're hanging out with. Uh, chemical stress, you know, it's pervasive and ubiquitous in our in our world. So you have to live some form of uh, cleanse and detox lifestyle to get this stuff out of your tissues. And then managing your energy throughout the day and getting good sleep because sleep is how the body regenerates itself. That's something, something so bad at. Like even if I'm got blood coming out of my eyes, I need to finish four more parts of a bad show. Like I really have an issue with this one, you know, it's just like nervous energy or whatever, or store. It's this weird thing where I give, I feel like sometimes I give the work day to others and then after six, it becomes my time. So like in my time, I'd like to exceed doing things that just turn my brain off, but that doesn't obviously. It's like doing my 20 minute decision. (laughs) It's all like a lie. I'm going to have to, I know what I'm going to work on next after talking to you about this stuff. Because I'm probably overstimulated on on steroids, you know, just way overstimulated. Yeah. So when you feel that that is something, then you want to refocus that and then you just set your priorities straight. All right, I'm going to do something different. Um, I'm going to do a piece of paper with 20 and go, I only have these. So if it's outside of these, (laughs) it doesn't exist. (laughs) Well, on the 20 decisions, a lot of that research comes from the psychologists that work with the the Facebook um, Zuckerberg and, and Bill Gates. These guys already figured it out. What do they wear for clothing? One outfit. They don't. That's one less thing. I got they that down. I got my costume. <laughs> I got that one right. You know, I've always had the same like uniform idea to not think about that. On a morning from a bold got moving in a country where they turn by time. You go strolling through the crowd like Peter Laura. In the juicing and your background with the amino acids, the uh, pre-digested, because I know a lot of people that juice and they don't have any protein. Mm -hmm. Like, where did you come up with that? Where did you figure out that when you're juicing and you're doing these weird cayenne pepper things and you don't have any protein in your body, you're actually eating your muscle? I don't think half the people I know know that. Yeah, gluconeogenesis is uh, deadly. It's muscle wasting. And so the amino acids that I work with, I got from my business partner. He worked with Dr. Luca Moretti for a long time. He developed these 
uh, as a way for renal patients to stop the gluconeogenesis, the muscle wasting, people with kidney disease wasting away in the hospital beds. So they've been on the market for a long period of time. They're vegan, pre-digested. They're made out of vegetables. So they're super clean, super effective, 36 clinical trials on them. So we put them together with our juice cleanse, the 40-day cleanse that I have. Mm -hmm. uh, they're excellent for building muscle. They have 99% net nitrogen utilization. For example, something else like whey, which is one of the most popular protein supplements on the market. Whey only has 17% net nitrogen utilization. 17? Yeah. Meaning the materials that you eat, only 17% get synthesized and utilized by the muscles. Wow. These things are 99%. So extremely efficient. Um, and so you want to make sure that the money you're spending on food, it's actually going to go actually into the bloodstream. Read your labels, everyone. Everyone's got the marketing to sell Jesus in a bottle, but not everyone's got organic ingredients. So read your labels, guys. <laughs> What are you seeing online versus physical? Is there a way to help people online or do you feel like they don't get really touched until it's in physical world? Because you have a, the modern world is so much online and you're probably getting hit by people all over the world. Do you have success with people that are cyber? Like you worked with me in, in this way where you're an old friend and you helped me on the side and then I, I went to one of your things and it's a whole different vibe, you know? <laughs> I guess, do you see successes and failures of that? Well, you know, working in person, there's a visceral experience. There's something that happens that's magical. And so, yes, that, that works. But virtual is just as good because if someone connects with you and then they can watch something, they realize that maybe their health isn't so good. And even though Troy Casey's a little crazy with his approaches and stuff like that, hey, let me try this one thing. And people write me from all over the world where they implement a little bit of Qigong that I'm teaching, like the Zen swing, or they start eating real food, or maybe they're vegan and they start eating meat again. And people write me from all over the world that change their life from implementing a couple simple, small things. And then uh, some of those people also come out to my retreats or my personal retreats in Santa Monica. And it's actually the people that aren't aware of any of this that do the best. So I got guys in their 40s and 50s taking off their shirt that are embarrassed too, but I'm like, fuck it, man, get the sun on your body. And even taking off their shirt in public is a huge mental leap for them. And they go home and they buy a new bicycle and maybe they buy an ice bath and they start eating organic and they do my 40-day cleanse. And they're, they're implementers is what I'm saying. And their life changes dramatically. And because these are so such big lifestyle um, shifts or new things in their lifestyle and they instantly get results, they're kind of hooked from there mm -hmm. because the results... Results are everything. I can't compare when I walked up to you and I said, man, I need help. I'm fat, lethargic. I got no energy and I was exhausted. And I can't compare that to today, the way I feel today, you know, and the work and the energy. Everything's moving around. It's just food was one of them, but it's a whole bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. I had this dead energy. Yeah. And, and, and that's great because mm -hmm. we didn't work too closely, mm -hmm. but you came over a couple of times and you implemented. I so, think I was, you know, you're ready. When you're ready, right. it was kind of like I hit a wall with drugs, hit a wall with girls, hit a wall with, I had hit a food wall when I saw you in the aisle with your daughter. And I was like, I'm done, bro. I was just going through a breakup. I'm like, this is it. I'm over it. <laughs> you know? You were ready. I was so ready. So I did my own, dude. you know, I was just like, whatever he said, I'm going to do it. Whatever that is, I'm going to do it. And then I'll start dialing in who I am. But right now, you know, it's kind of like the way I did rehab was just like, just follow the process until you even know where you are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like I was in the clouds. And you have to start where, where you Our are. Our business is weird because we're it's meetings for meetings with lunches for lunches on dinners with done. And, and as an older dude, uh, dinners at the new nightclub, there's a four-hour dinner every day you want one. You know, you just, I just pulled over and said, I can't do that anymore. You know, I'll meet you for 10 minutes for something. But, you know, that's how we, that's this business, you know, mm -hmm. that's yep. my business. When I went to see you in Santa Monica, you had like, you kind of pinned down into three goals for yourself that you wanted to implement. It was like a spiritual awareness. It's not just nutrition. What were they? You talked about it in uh, when I went to see you in, in Santa Monica. Yeah, what I focus on, because I have so much knowledge and techniques and, and, and uh, information, so I, I don't want to wear people out because people can get exhausted and then just quit. It's like too much to think about. Yeah, if about. it's not a swipe or a like, it's a lot of work. 
Right. <laughs> right. Or an emoji. Yeah. So uh, I keep everything in the framework of mindset, movement, and nutrition as medicine. So awareness is the first step. Nothing's more powerful than a made-up mind. Um, and so awareness is the first step, desire. And so once you're clear on that, and then we help design what your heart desires, what your dream, your vision, your, your, your legacy, your purpose is, we work on that and fine-tune that. And that's life work, but we get a good I am statement for you to move forward and actually adopt what I'm talking about because what I'm talking about is going in alignment with your dream. And so we design a program that helps your dream flourish. So we get the mind very clear. And then I educate on what nutrition is, uh, movement as medicine, helping people understand that uh, uh, exercise is a necessity, not a luxury, and then demystifying exercise and, and movement into much more simple terms. Most people I just send out walking. And so, yeah, because that's the best way the human body was designed to move through time and space. And so if people would just walk regularly, that would cover their exercise basis. And then I fine tune nutrition, uh, get us on a baseline of what real nutrition is. And then that makes the framework much more easy. And then I have a couple other coaching points, frameworks that I keep everything in balance with. I teach the last four doctors that you'll ever need, Dr. Quiet being the chief physician. And if you're not happy, it's time to get quiet. And diet and movement are on the same access. And so if you want to know how much food to eat, just look at your movement. I love when you said to me, I was like, dude, this Erewhon's expensive. You're like, then just cancel your medical insurance. <laughs> it's like, no, that's so you. What's coming up? Are you doing anything soon? With the, like, Are you doing a, another seminar? So I'm going to go on tour in the Pacific Northwest this summer. I'm going to go all the way up to Vancouver and Whistler. And I'll be teaching at a couple spots up there and I'll be doing San Francisco. I'll be doing Oregon and Seattle as well and taking my kids out on a huge camping traveling trip. Oh, that's great. Yeah. What were you doing in Malibu? You were just doing a whole thing up there. I saw you posted. Weren't you with the master Rick Rubin? He's been serious about all this stuff, right? Yeah, Rick started studying uh, or hanging out with Laird. I mm -hmm. think he was like 300 pounds and... Uh, you know, doing all these high-powered entertainment lunches and, and stuff like that. And he had a house at Point Doom, but wasn't living there. And somehow he started hanging out there and found Laird. And Laird, I mean, he's a beast as it is, but I think he had hip replacement recently. And he, I don't know how long he's been working with, with my mentor, Paul Check, but I know Paul helped him heal from his hip replacement. And so Laird has all the technology for functional fitness, corrective exercise, diet, and high performance. And so there was an article in Men's Journal about his journey, and I think he lost like 150 pounds in a short amount of time. I saw, like he was hanging out with Vincent, a good friend of mine, and I saw the transformation coming fast and hard. He looked nothing like the guy you'd run into in New York in a bodega. He had a new soul. He yeah. was a new dude. He's one of the first silent inspirations. I remember when the food came once we were all, at a dinner and he was just like uh, it was crowd and food and he just goes hey really good to see you but I'm out of here and he was gone and I was like I get it I remember this one point where he had his cell phone and medals and all kinds of stuff he was probably being extreme at this point but his assistant had all the crap in like a, yeah. a little carrying bag yep. and every hour and a half the assistant will walk over to us whisper something to his ear very peacefully even if it was a high stress meeting even if it was like you know Geffen Records is gonna fold in 20 minutes it would be a Geffen Records is uh, gonna have a big problem they probably should hear from you in 20 minutes everything had to be emotionally brought down from I'm like this is success. Yeah. This guy's figured it out. His team's in on this, you know? Yeah. No metal on his body, no cell phones. It was just like cloth. I love it. <laughs> I was like, this guy's doing it. <laughs> I love you know? it. I need he's always assistant. been ahead of himself, you know? Yeah. He's always been kind, you know? Even when I was a nobody kid in New York, he'd always be nice to me. Yeah, I met him the other day for the first time. Good energy. Just, I just Magnetic. Thanked, I thanked him for all the hip hop he's brought to the world. And, <laughs> he sure has. Oh, I was so grateful. And it was the first time I met him and I've been a fan for so long. And he was so kind and gentle. It was like Santa Claus. Actually, he was kind of <laughs> like a goofier version of me. Yeah, he is goofy in a sense. Yeah. And he was just like, 
He's got something in his eyes, though, that have changed. His eyes used to have this darkness, and now they're just, like, bathed in oil. He just looks like he's floating. Yeah, he's like he's like, like a little happy hippie Santa Claus. He hit me to Osho at one point. Yep. I was talking to, like, my buddy Shane about it. He's like, that's all bullshit, and this documentary's awful. I said, well, look, there's a book called Joy. If you just read the book and you don't start wearing costumes and following a guy around, the book's amazing. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Some people like to take these things, you know, you probably see them in your place where it's like it's fashion and it's force and it's everything that's wrong i call it spiritually in denial Mm -hmm. these people are like you know no this has to be this way and this how they go well obviously you know i see that in sobriety like you haven't learned the first principle maybe yes you know it's ego it's it's i know you don't know all that stuff and here's how we do it and this is the clothes we wear i'm like i don't want anything to do with you (laughs) a little spiritual bypassing yeah. Last thing is, do you see a shift in consciousness? You've been doing this a long time. Is there is there more people coming into this or is that just because I've tuned into it that I see people caring or, you know, trying to eat better? Or is this something that's just the same levels to you or is it more nowadays? Consciousness is rising. I've been juicing for 30 years. There's an organic, it was a strange foreign concept to people back then. Why do you do that? What do you need to do that for? Health, mm-hmm. uh, health food stuff doesn't work. Juicing's idiotic. Whatever. I've heard it all. Fact of the matter is there's 10 organic juice bars in walking distance from my home right now. So that's just one indicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are many more. The fact of the matter is, is the Great Awakening cannot be stopped. We are headed for a huge quantum leap. Somebody just sent me uh, a video of walruses climbing up uh, walls and committing suicide like right off these cliffs. So the world is completely out of balance right Mm -hmm. now. And it's up to us to create new systems that are beneficial for the all and create sustainable systems that we can operate and that our human needs are covered with. And that's the era that we're moving into. I saw a vision in the Amazon in 2006 and many things have been unfolding ever since uh, in that realm. So hold the faith, everyone. Hold the vision. My vision is clean air, water, soil, equitable systems for all mankind in my lifetime. I'm running for president of planet Earth next year and that's my platform. I like that one. Well, dude, thank you. Like, you know, my life is so much better now and if anyone can come see you, go see you. Find you online. It's not hard. Certified Health Night. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. That day will come When we'll have everything We'll share the 